Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the God's house tonight. Alright. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The last couple of days I've been doing some research on um, phrases or what you would call idioms. And um, there's heaps and I didn't realize there were this many. But um, some of them are, a leopard can't change his spots, which means you can't change who you really are. It's a blessing in disguise. means something good that isn't recognized at first. Teenagers might hear this one a bit. You have a chip on your shoulder, meaning you may need an attitude adjustment. It's a piece of cake, means it's something easy to do. A taste of your own medicine means when you are mistreated the same way you mistreat others. But the one that I'd like to use tonight has been used since roughly the 1970s and became more commonly used when a man by the name of Thomas Bertram Lance uh, worked in the US government said it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he was referring to the financial state of the government at the time. As we walk with the Lord each day and become more dependent upon him, we realize that God's ways are total opposite of us. They're not like our ways. God's thinking is the complete opposite of man's philosophies. And so tonight, with that in mind, the title of my message is totally opposite of that phrase. If it ain't broke, break it. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, that we can be in your house. Lord God, I'm so thankful for the salvation that you have brought to every man, woman, and child. Lord God, that desires it. Lord God, and tonight I pray that you would anoint my lips. Anoint, Lord, your message, God, that you've laid upon my heart, that it may go forth and speak to your people. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that it would bring forth much fruit, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Throughout this holy book, the Bible, God has used men and women to do his work, to perform miracles, to bring hope to the hopeless, joy to the downcast, and love to the unlovable. And yet the common theme running through each of the lives of these servants and willing vessels is that they each had to be broken first. There are many times we have broken stuff, i.e. like the broken table that the guy I just brought my house from convinced me to keep, it's broken. Or my broken reticulation system that requires a complete overhaul in the backyard. These kinds of things are beyond repair and require a totally new replacement. They're not fixable, especially not the table. And so when it's my garbage pickup day, which I hope it is very soon because I don't like junk around, I'll be taking the broken table and all the broken reticulation piping and chucking it on a pile outside my house. And it will be discarded and left for the tip because it's useless to me. My heart, on the other hand, is completely opposite. God's ways, not our ways, total opposite. My heart is not useful until it is broken. We may look at our hearts, our lives, and think of them as the wobbly, rotten, wooden table in my backyard and think there is no way that can be fixed. It's beyond repair and it should be discarded. And yet my Bible tells me this. In Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. It's in our brokenness and our mess that God can work. When we bring him the shattered pieces of our lives, it's then that God goes, oh, yes, this I can work with. In Exodus chapter 2, if you want to turn there, many of us know the story of Moses. He was a Hebrew child 
And uh, he was meant, all the Hebrew children in the land were meant to be killed as per Pharaoh's request because there were just too many of them and he was getting worried that they'd take over. They were all to be slaughtered. And his mother placed him as a baby in a basket and floated him down the river hoping for his safety. And uh, along the way, Pharaoh's daughter found him and uh, then has his mother, his mother like through the sister that was watching after him. His mother actually ends up caring for him until he is older. And in Exodus chapter 2, we pick up in verse 11 when he's grown and he goes to live with Pharaoh's family. Verse 11 says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren. He knew he was Hebrew and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Verse 15 says, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses was by adoption Pharaoh's grandson. And now he finds himself at the age of 40 running for his life. Moses had seen his people's burden. He had seen the slavery and he wanted to do something about it. He felt as though he was qualified to be the leader of the Israelites. After all, he was in a position of power and authority. And yet we read in this passage that when he took things into his own hands, he definitely was not ready for this role. And so we see him escaping those he had come to know as family. And he finds himself in the land of Midian, otherwise known as the backside of the desert. Moses, who has been accustomed to servants, people obeying his every command, and a clean and fancy palace with flushing toilets, now is sitting in a strange land and ends up, if you read on, tending someone else's sheep. He is now a shepherd, an occupation that the Egyptians actually saw as an abomination. Moses was being groomed for a leadership role. He was being trained even while he was in Pharaoh's palace. But it took a driving into the wilderness. It took 40 long years on top of the 40 years he'd already lived for him to completely be ready for the role he was to take in the exodus of God's people. It took 40 years for him to learn what it is to be a servant, what it means to be humble. And so now he spent 40 years shepherding living with his in-laws. You can only imagine what that was like. At the age of 80, he has an experience with God that he's never had before. It is at this point that God enters the situation and can now use Moses. We know this because of the way Moses responds to the Lord's plan. Exodus 4 and 10 says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And you'll read in Acts chapter 7, this man that Stephen speaks of in Acts chapter 7 as being a man learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds, now says, I'm not eloquent. Moses had reached rock bottom. A man once confident to go and slay a man in broad daylight, a man that once held the attention of many just by the words he spoke, now says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and be the one to bring your people out? Moses was completely shattered. 
And yet through this brokenness, through this time, he was made humble and became part of the most incredible escape in the history of mankind, leading thousands of people to freedom. Brokenness brings humility. We read earlier a verse from Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms. This psalm was penned by another man who knew what it was to be broken, David. David was anointed to become king of Israel, and yet even with that call upon his life, he finds himself also running away from Saul, the king of Israel at the time, who wanted to take David's life. And we see a bit of a parallel to Moses, running from someone trying to take his life, even though they both had a call on their lives to become great leaders in God's plan. Saul was jealous of David's fame in the land and ends up hunting him for, I believe, was roughly four years. He runs after him all over the place, from one end of Israel to the other. And I can imagine what David must have been thinking at times as he lives the life of a fugitive. I know I've been anointed as the next king of Israel. It was plain as day. It wasn't just a feeling someone told him he was going to be the king. And yet here I am hiding as a fugitive. And we read in Psalm 142, when David hits rock bottom, he's hiding in a cave and in complete brokenness, he prays to the Lord. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I'm overwhelmed. I feel imprisoned in this cave. And I look to the right hand and there is no man to care for me. No one cares about me. But all I have is you, God. You are my portion. You are my refuge. I cannot rely on another man to stand with me. But God you are my refuge. You know my path. And it's quite a number of years before David finally becomes the king of Israel. In fact, from the time he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to his actual reign, it was 30 years. There's a lot of waiting in the Bible. But it was on those years of being a fugitive, of running for his life, it was in that time of overwhelming troubles and trials that David wrote some of his most comforting and faith-filled psalms. He writes Psalm 34 when he's captured by the Philistines. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. It's in the midst of the, his capture and imprisonment that he finds deliverance from fear. And verse 8 continues with, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Brokenness brings trust and confidence in God's power and ability to save and deliver. 
David's life experiences are a continual example of brokenness. And the one moment that stands out to me and probably to the majority of people is a story that gives me such great hope that even when I fall so short of the mark of where I should be, even when I mess up in my brokenness, God is still able to use me. And many of us know this story. David is now king. He's no longer running from Saul and that part of his life is finished. He's now the most powerful man in all of Israel, a man who has won many battles, a man that is feared in other lands. David finds himself walking upon the roof of his home and he sees a beautiful woman. When he should have been fighting the battle alongside his army, he instead takes this married woman and sleeps with her. And this woman, Bathsheba is her name, became pregnant. And so David, rather than confessing his sin, he concocts a plan to cover it up. He arranges to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered. And sadly, his plan is successful. And Uriah is conveniently killed in battle. David thinks he's covered it up. The sin's gone. He's able to go on living his life. But David forgets one little detail. God is holy and cannot dwell with sin. And you cannot hide your heart from God. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David. And after speaking a parable to him that shows him he's wrong, he speaks of the consequences of David's actions, which are nothing to be taken lightly. But in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, we see David's response to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. And it is with this realization that David pens Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Verse 8 says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 16 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, not in the traditions. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And in verse 8, it speaks of the bones that have broken. And this is meant under the weight of his sin. It's not meant that God broke the bones or that it was his doing. But God used David's choices and David's actions. He used them to bring David to a place of repentance and acknowledgement of his sin and what he had done. What I love about David is rather than allow the sin of his past to completely crush and destroy him, he went back to the Lord with the brokenness of his heart, the mess that he had made, and he asked the Lord for forgiveness. And it's in our brokenness when we've messed up and have tried to make it right in our own strength that again God comes alongside and can take the broken vessel. When we really understand our sinful state and come to him with the broken spirit and the broken heart, this is true sacrifice. This is what God desires of each of us. So brokenness brings repentance and in turn forgiveness. If we turn to Job chapter 16 and verse 12. Many of us would be well acquainted with Job's story. He was a good and a righteous man who is totally and utterly broken. He was stripped of his worldly substance. His family was broken up. His children were taken from him and his body was broken with boils and ulcers. 
but most of all, his spirit was completely shattered. And verse 12 of Job chapter 16 says, I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. And we can look back in hindsight at Job's life and think, well, he's going to be rewarded double of what he had in the beginning and his kids weren't that nice and his wife wasn't that great either. But we must remember that Job had no idea what the end result would be. But we can also take comfort in that when we feel as though all is stripped away from us, everything that we hold dear to our hearts is taken away, that God is still in control. Job lost everything and all he had through it all was the knowledge that God is God and that he is a righteous and a faithful master. And it is through his utter and complete brokenness before the Lord that he is given a revelation of who this God is that he serves so faithfully. Chapter 31 of Job, uh, the book of Job records Job's justification of his behavior and he lists the positive attributes that he has. He's lived as a righteous man. He's a good man. He does good things and doesn't understand why God is allowing these horrible things to happen in his life. And he questions God. And we see only a few chapters later, the Lord responds to Job's confusion. And over the course of chapter 38 and 39, the Lord speaks of his awesomeness and the magnitude of his power. Job, I know you're doing it tough and you don't completely understand why this is happening. But where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Can you cause rain to come from the clouds? Who provides food for the birds? Do you know when the wild goats bring forth their young? Do you control the tides of the oceans? And in spite of all Job's questioning and desire to face God, after the Lord speaks, he's left with nothing to say. All he could offer up was this, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. How often do we question God? I do it a lot. As if we know something that God doesn't. How often do we ask why? And forget whom it is that we ask the question of. And the Lord continues to throw questions back at Job. And in verse 11 of chapter 41, the Lord challenges the idea that he owes anyone anything. Job, I've blessed you so abundantly, but not because of your own righteousness. It's because of my love and care for you. I own everything so I can give whatever I want to whoever I want. And then we see in chapter 42, the result of all the tragedy that Job had felt over the last time. We see him go back to the Lord in his broken state and answer with this. Chapter 42 and verse 2. I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. And verse 5 says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. It is through the tragedy of losing everything, of being truly broken and shattered, that the Lord reveals his power and his majesty. It is through these experiences that Job finds a depth in his relationship with the Lord like never before. I've heard of you before. I've known about you, but now I truly see who you really are and how you've kept me and have been in control all the way through all of this. It has been 
and will continue to be in those times of complete and utter despair that the Lord really reveals more of himself to us. And many of us could testify of the times we felt like we were in a desert wilderness or in a chaotic storm and yet it was also in those times that we felt peace and joy like never before. We had burning bush moments that we never would have noticed or seen had we not been stripped of everything else. Brokenness brings revelation and a depth in relationship with God that is not possible at other times. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 speaks of many trials and tribulations that the Apostle Paul encountered in his ministry. And if anyone had been broken physically, it had definitely been Paul. He'd been whipped, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, near drownings. He had false accusers. He was starving. But he entered the ministry and became as a slave to Jesus Christ so that he may obtain his eternal reward. Philippians 3 tells us, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Isn't that our ultimate goal? To win Christ? Paul then speaks these words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, that are so often misquoted. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ. Wherever I am, whatever situation I'm in, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it is through those times of trial and tribulation that he found strength in Jesus Christ. Brokenness brings strength. You may have heard of the term to re-break bones. This means that a doctor is going to break again a bone that has previously been broken before. The main reason why they re-break, sometimes, it's sometimes necessary, is that the bones have healed incorrectly the first time. Either you didn't go to the doctor in time or they said it incorrectly the first time. When your bones break, they become deformed. When they are not set properly, they will not heal properly. You are not able to move as freely as before and what the bone was created for cannot be accomplished. Just like the natural re-breaking of bones, sometimes we need to be rebroken spiritually. Many of us would remember how deformed we may have felt when we came to Jesus Christ for the first time. We'd spent numerous years of our lives trying to heal ourselves or using other measures to set our spiritual bones and yet we ended up disjointed, deformed, and looking nothing like we were created for. We felt like we didn't fit in in this place. We didn't look like the rest of the people. We didn't speak like them, and so on. Sometimes the things God has to break in our lives don't always look like snares or prisons, but they are. When we're in the world, we were singing that song tonight, My Chains Are Gone. When we're in the world, we didn't even know they were chains. We thought we were having the time of our lives and it's only when we come to God that we see we were bound. We cannot see it because we've lived with them all our lives. But we must allow the Lord to use situations, people and his word to re-break us and reset us spiritually. You would have heard 
Fine china once broken is twice as strong with the mending. And I'm not sure how true this saying is. I was looking it up and I don't think it's very factual. But I do know that if we allow the master physician to mend our brokenness, we will be strengthened just as Paul was. Psalm 147 and verse 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. God's the creator. Who better to heal us? Who better to bind up our wounds? He knows everything about us. Broken bones and fractures are usually the result of inactivity. We break our bones and cause ourselves injury because we've not used that bone and it has become weak. And John 12, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The outer shell of our hearts, just like the outer shell of the corn, the walls we've built from experiences in the past must be broken. It must be taken away so that life can come forth. If we continue to hold our brokenness inside and don't allow the Lord to come in and change us, we will continue to stay where we are. We will become stale, weak, and inactive. I want to be easily broken before the Lord. I don't want to have to come to a point where he has to destroy everything dear to my heart so I allow him to heal me. But how often do we wait until it's at the end and then God has to really do something drastic? Unbroken, we are like a stallion in the wild. We need someone to come along and tame our spirit. We need God's bridle of brokenness to bring us under submission. If we buck against the spirit of God, then we're in for a rougher ride. Why should we push back with pride when the end result can be joy and gladness? We must not be afraid of brokenness. In the world today, we're meant to have it all together, to hold it together. Instead of seeing it as a burden, though, we must look at it as a blessing, a blessing in disguise. It is better to be broken a little along the way than a lot in one foul swoop. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 says, the Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church about how they should conduct communion. And verse 24 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, this is Jesus speaking, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And we read in Isaiah 53 a prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was wounded for us. The ultimate brokenness was in Jesus Christ. The sins of the world were upon him, and in that moment he was utterly crushed under the weight of them. Matthew 27 gives us the horrific account of Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He's hanging on the cross. 
saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And verse 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And so it was in that very moment when the flesh was completely broken and submitted to the will of the divine that salvation became available to every human being. It was in Jesus' brokenness, in his perfect sacrifice, that we have salvation today. It is through our brokenness and sacrifice that others can and will come to know the same salvation that Jesus offered us. Brokenness brings salvation. Matthew 21 gives us the account of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and priests, saying in verse 42 to 44, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus, when speaking of those who fall on the stone, was saying that those who are offended in me shall be broken and will suffer consequences. But those who know what it is to do right and be what God wants them to be, and do it not, on him will God's judgment fall and will utterly destroy him and grind him to dust. Those with a rebellious and hardened heart will be in danger of great judgment. And throughout scripture, you will see that the Lord speaks of those who are hardened and have not allowed the Lord to break them. Those that act as though they have it all together, them he will destroy at the judgment. And you may be offended tonight, by some of the things that have been said. You may be offended by the worship you see in this building. You may be offended by the word of God that goes forth. But tonight I encourage you not to be offended. If you are allowed that offense, that brokenness, to bring you to the foot of the cross. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh. He is close unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord does not push away that which is broken. He will not discard you like you would broken things. But instead, he takes brokenness. He heals it and he creates beauty out of ashes. One man once said, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. And Brother Simon spoke this morning about the role of parents and how the will of a child must be broken. And tonight we are no different from a young child. We are children of God. Each of us here are either a son or a daughter of God. And we have come to a breaking point where our will is broken and completely surrendered to his will. Brokenness is just the shattering of my self-will, the I, the absolute surrender of my will to the will of God. It is saying, yes, Lord, no resistance, no stubbornness, no pride, simply submitting myself to his direction and will in my life. If I could have a musician, please. In the last few days, I've been, as I've been praying, phrases have been going over and over in my mind. 
Just this, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about him. And church, you know what? It really is all about Jesus. There's no one higher than our God. There is no one greater than him. And there is no one more powerful, more majestic than Jesus Christ. And he deserves all the glory, as we sang this morning, and all the honor. And if it is through my brokenness, if it is through the shattered pieces of my life that he is glorified and exalted, then Lord, break me. That is my prayer. If it is so that God can be glorified and lifted up in our lives, Lord, break us. If we'd stand.